Hey, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Vine. I'm looking forward to jumping into um, what was just read out for us this morning. Uh, but Toby's asked me also just to briefly share about um, something coming up in the life of our church, and that is uh, on the 25th of Feb, we have our um, Mardi Gras outreach night here at Vine Church. If you don't know, um, the Mardi Gras Festival Parade has previously, under COVID, been meeting at the Sydney Cricket Ground, and this is the first year that the parade's kind of kicked back off on Oxford Street, and it'll be going right by the doors of our church along Flinders Lane. And so we're using this as an opportunity, as um, the St. Michael's before Vine had been using it, to kind of open up our doors, love the LGBTIQ community, um, use it as an opportunity not to protest the Mardi Gras, um, but not to simply just participate in it, but actually to proclaim Jesus and who he is and what he has to offer. And so let me encourage you, um, love your prayer for that. Uh, just a couple of weeks away, we're doing a training day here with the volunteers. Love you to be praying for that. Um, but also, if you're interested in coming along and serving, love also if you to have a think about that, chat to me, or even... Um, oh, they've put the slide on the screen. You guys are amazing. Didn't even tell them I was going to do this, and here they are. Um, if you are keen to... Uh, Get involved, feel free to go um, to that link on the screen. Currently, Tim Gardner is the only person on security, so he might need some help. If you want to help Tim out, that would be awesome. There's a whole bunch of other ways you can serve too. Uh, but hey, I'm going to pray for that. I'm going to pray for us as we jump into God's Word, and then we'll do just that. Join with me. Uh, Father, we do thank you for the opportunity that we have as a church located here. And we ask that um, this would just be an incredible night, Lord, where... Um, people that might not feel like they're naturally, um, the church is wanting them on their property or the church loves them might come, uh, experience your love, hear of your love. Uh, and Lord, this might actually be a really cool opportunity for us to reach out um, to people where perhaps the church in the past hasn't done an amazing job. Uh, Lord, please raise up volunteers from Vine and all other churches across Sydney and Australia. Uh, and Lord, please uh, do what only you can do. Father, we pray now that as we turn to your word, uh, you would speak to us, that your spirit would be at work in us, and Lord, uh, that we would leave today as a result of what we've heard, transformed and changed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, I've called this talk today, I think you need a faith lift. I think you need a faith lift. Um, we'll get to why in a second, but over the past five weeks, we've been looking at the book of Matthew, and we've kind of been um, focusing on who Jesus is, who he says he is, in kind of a, a journey to see the real Jesus clearly, uh, to uncover who Jesus is in the Bible for ourselves so that we might see Jesus more clearly, but also so that we might see life more clearly too, that we might see life in 4K. And we've been using this illustration of the Prince's Palace in Monaco, where in 2015, builders were doing works on the roof, and they discovered that someone at some stage had actually decided to paint over these frescoes that were put there, uh, painted there somewhere around the 16th century in the Italian Renaissance. Someone had decided, you know what, let's cover these paintings over, and then someone came after that and painted over and over and over and over again. So these beautiful paintings had been lost, their um, beauty had been distorted, and so they sent in uh, people to restore it, to meticulously and carefully 
scrape back the layers of paint over these frescoes. And so it is uh, with Jesus. Over the past 2,000 years, uh, people have kind of obscured and distorted our portrait of Jesus by painting over who he is, by uh, adding extra things, by obscuring who Jesus is. And so that's why every year Vine Church uh, opens up an account of the life of Jesus to look at him in the Bible, in the earliest texts that talk about him, to see who he is, so that we might see him and see life more clearly. And I've called today's talk, I think you need a faith lift, because I think in society and even in churches still today, I kind of view our understanding, our picture of faith uh, has been obscured has been distorted, has been painted over with other layers and things like that. Let me give you just three common misconceptions of faith in today's society, in the church, in the world around us. The first one, first common misconception of faith is this kind of idea of a leap of faith. Uh, Apparently this dates back to Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher and theologian in the 19th century, um, but also apparently he never actually uses the term in his writings Go figure. Um, But apparently dates back to him. And in popular society, in common vernacular, what this refers to is just a blind, irrational, irresponsible leap where you kind of take your brain out of your head, place it on the floor, you squint your eyes, grit your teeth, and in like, with no evidence whatsoever, you just recklessly throw yourself upon God or something and you just hope that you'll be caught. This blind, irrational, irresponsible leap. And this uh, is actually still today a popular critique of atheists such as Sam Harris and Richard Dawkins about Christians and what they believe. Take, for example, this quote from Richard Dawkins. He says, Scientific belief is based upon publicly checkable evidence. Religious faith not only lacks evidence, its independence from evidence is its joy shouted from the rooftops. Do you get the picture of faith that Dawkins is painting there? You've got scientific evidence on one hand that's you know, based on publicly checkable evidence and facts, and then you've got a bunch of morons, religious people over here, that have no facts whatsoever, and in fact, despite the facts, they just rejoice uh, stupidly in the lack of them and just believe what they believe anyway. I think Christians can and do probably do a little bit better than that. And that's our first common misconception of faith. Secondly, there's this idea of faith, um, which is it's kind of this thing that you inherit. You know, when your grandma dies, she passes down to you like a necklace, a brooch, and her faith. It's not too uncommon that I'll have conversations with people. And they might, uh, I might say, you know, do you have a faith background? What, do you have a, any sort of religious belief? And they might say something along the lines of, oh, well, you know, like my mum is a Catholic. And so I grew up going to mass when I was younger. And so I guess I'm I'm a Catholic. I go to mass on Christmas, Easter. Um, That's who I am. That's what I do. My, My faith has kind of been passed down to me from generation to generation. That's our second misconception of what faith is. And thirdly and lastly, um, Another misconception of faith, it's kind of this internal and inward force, this thing that dwells within us. And so faith is this thing which you need to cultivate, to feed, 
to stir up. And you might do that by partaking in particular practices, such as uh, praying, reading the Bible, fasting, coming to church. And it's this thing that you cultivate, you feed, you build up, you stir, you fan into flame from within you. In its most um, extreme form, you kind of see this played out uh, when people say things like, you know, God will always heal. God wants to heal everyone. And the only reason he doesn't is because you don't have enough faith. And so if you want to be healed or you want someone in your life to be healed, all you need to do is fix up your faith, get your faith right, and then God will respond to you with healing. And more subtly, um, this kind of creeps its way into our understanding of faith. When we think things like, you know, if I could just get my faith right, if I could just pray the right thing, do the right thing, then maybe God would provide me with the job that I want. Maybe he'd give me the partner that I was after. Maybe if I could just fix up my faith, get it right, he'd tell me the country that I ought to live in. And you see, these are three common misconceptions of faith uh, that we see all around us, both in society and church. And you know what? You might believe some of these things outright, um, but also for many of us, these things are a little bit more subtle for us. They've kind of slowly snuck their way in to our understanding of what faith is. And so if faith isn't this blind, irrational, irresponsible leap in the darkness, if faith isn't simply um, this thing that we inherit down from our grandma, and if faith isn't this thing which is this internal inward force, what is faith? What is faith? Well, that's what we're going to unpack today. We're going to see what true faith looks like, and we're hopefully going to give our understanding of faith a bit of a facelift. In today's story, we see faith demonstrated in the dad of a dead girl, in a social outcast, in two blind men, and in a demon-possessed man. The verses that were read out for us, but there's only 16 of them, but in those 16 verses, we have four quick stories, interactions that Jesus has with individuals where he sees their faith and heals them. A Jewish leader, a synagogue leader, comes to Jesus with a daughter of his that is dead. This man, highly regarded in Jewish society, comes to Jesus in humility, asking for him to heal his daughter. Uh, this woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, perhaps from a hemorrhage, uh, in Jewish society would have actually been deemed unclean, and therefore anyone that came into contact with her would also have been deemed unclean. So she would have found herself socially isolated as an outcast. And so she comes to Jesus in the midst of a big crowd in secrecy. These two blind men come to Jesus in a day and age where there was no NDIS scheme, uh, where being blind would have significantly impacted their day-to-day -day life, and they come to him in desperation asking for healing. And lastly, a demon-possessed man, that uh, his possession is of such a nature, he cannot even speak. Uh, he comes to Jesus. The passage actually says that he comes to Jesus brought by others. He comes to Jesus helplessly. Yet Jesus, when faced with each one of these individuals, sees them, sees their faith, and has compassion on them and heals them. So in today's passage, we're going to see um, three things from these interactions. We're going to see the nature of faith, the object of faith, and the result of faith. The nature of faith, the object of faith, and the result of faith. 
Well, let's pick up with the nature of faith. Did you see, did you notice as the passage was being read out for us, or perhaps even now as you glance through it, just how much faith is mentioned, either explicitly or implicitly? We've got in at least these three interactions that Jesus has, um, faith either hinted at or explicitly mentioned. Matthew 9.18 this is the synagogue leader, comes to Jesus, kneels before him and says, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her and she will live. You see the confidence of the man there. You see the faith that he has. If you just lay your hand on her, she will live. And then later on, the woman with um, bleeding comes to Jesus and she says, or she thinks to herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. And lastly, um, this is the blind man, come to Jesus and Jesus says, do you believe that I can do this? In fact, that word there, belief in the original language, is the very same word used for faith in 21, that next line up. Same word there. Do you have faith that I can do this? And they say, yes. And Jesus says, well, according to your faith, let it be done. You see, the faith displayed in each of these individuals isn't just this blind, irrational, uninformed leap. They don't come to Jesus thinking, I've tried everything else. Like, I've exhausted all options. This is all I've got. I guess I'll just give it a crack. Jesus, could you just give it a go to heal my daughter? No, they come, each one of them, to Jesus with real confidence. You can do this. I know you can. If you just touch my daughter, she will live. If I just touch his cloak, I will be healed. Do you, do you believe I can do this? Yes. We do. The faith that these individuals have is a confidence, not blind, irrational. They've obviously seen Jesus healing others, and they believe and know that he can do the same for them. But you notice also this faith isn't something that they've inherited. They don't come to Jesus and say, like, well, my grandma was Jewish, so like, could, she was pretty good Jewish. She went to synagogue every Sunday and like all that. So could you just see her faith and just... Give me some of what you gave her to. No, they personally own their faith in Jesus. They come to him saying, I believe you can do this. Not something just passed down to me, something that I cling to and I hold on to myself. And lastly, the faith that they bring to Jesus isn't this internal inward force that they cultivate and stir up themselves. In fact, interestingly, their confidence isn't located within themselves. It's located in Jesus. And this is important. If you tuned out, tune back in. Um, faith in today's passage, in fact, faith in Jesus isn't something internal. Faith in Jesus is something which is external. It's not this intrinsic thing within them. It's actually an extrinsic thing. It's not located within themselves. It's located outside of themselves. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. He says, True faith takes its character and quality from its object and not from itself. Faith gets a man out of himself and into Christ. Its strength, therefore, depends on the character of Christ. I love this last line. Even those of us who have weak faith have the same strong Christ as others. 
Even those who have weak faith have the same strong Christ as others. Isn't that beautiful? You know, I think in today's passage, as we look at the woman who's been bleeding for 12 years, she's a great example of someone with weak faith. She's got dodgy theology. Like, look closely. She comes to Jesus with this kind of weak, superstitious faith. She thinks, if I could just touch his cloak, like he's some sort of magician, whether the power comes from this special clothing that he wears, I could just zap some of the power out of him. As if Jesus is this person that just walks along and like accidentally touches things and they like turn to gold or power zaps out of him. That's her understanding. That's her view of Jesus. But you know what? When this woman comes to Jesus and touches his cloak, what I expect him to do is kind of turn around and just go like, are you serious? What's wrong with you? That is dodgy theology. Like that is a bad, weak Faith. Can you fix your faith up, sort it out, then come to me, and once you've done that, maybe I'll heal you. But no, she touches his cloak, and he turns to her and he says, Daughter, looks at a social outcast, isolated for 12 years, and says, Daughter, your faith has healed you. You see, even though she had weak faith, even though she had superstitious faith, it was pointed in the right direction. It was pointed at Jesus. Tim Keller uses this illustration of um, two ice skaters. He says, imagine two ice skaters. The first skater goes out onto ice a quarter of an inch. What's that, like a centimeter or something? Um, And they say, I know this will hold me up. While a second skater goes out on ice four inches thick and says, I'm scared. I hope this will hold me up. The skater with lots of faith will sink, while the one with little faith will be safe. Why? It is not the faith that saves, but the ice, the object of the faith. All you need to live is enough faith to commit to the proper object. So we see that it is not the strength of the faith, but the object of faith that saves us. So faith is ultimately not a matter of psychological certainty at all, but a matter of commitment to the right object. This is a great comfort. Jesus will respond even when our faith is filled with flaws and weaknesses, as long as we simply look to him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have weak faith superstitious faith, dodgy theology. What we see in today's passage is that despite all of that, if your faith is pointed at the right object, it is in the right place, and it is a faith that saves you, because that's what the nature of faith is. Faith is putting your confidence in the right place. Faith is putting your confidence in the right place. You know, you might be here this morning and you're just checking out church. You're checking out Jesus. You need to know that you do not need to fix yourself up, dust yourself off, get your ducks lined up in a row before you approach God. Now, what we see today is that Jesus just says, come as you are. 
However unfit, unclean, unprepared you might feel you are. If your faith is put in the right object, it is a faith that saves you. It is a faith that Jesus sees and accepts. And he is not waiting for you to come perfect yourself before you approach him. No, he's saying come as you are. His arms are open wide. I want to even encourage you today. Maybe you've been on the fence for a while. You've been thinking, God would never accept someone like me. Maybe if I'm better, then I could approach him. Today is the day. Let me encourage you today. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust in him. That he died on the cross in your place for your sins. That you are made right with God because of that. Oh, maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you're a Christian. Your faith is in God. I've had to remind myself this week uh, that there is no amount of church attendance, Bible reading, prayer, fasting that I can do that will earn me merit with God. There is nothing that I can do to internally fix up my faith that will change the way that God might see me. Because you see, the quality of faith doesn't come from itself, it comes from the object. And so if we want to cultivate our faith, the way that we do that is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. By doing things like coming to church and sitting under his word, singing of his goodness and glory, by spending time feasting on his word in our weeks, getting a clearer picture of who God is by praying to him. See, subtle difference, but profound impact. Faith is putting your confidence in the right place. But if true faith gets its quality not from within itself, but the object that it is in, how do we know if our faith is in the right place? How do we know if our confidence is in the right object? Because the reality is that everyone here this morning has faith in something, Our confidence is placed somewhere or in someone. And so how do we know if our faith is in the right object or the right person? We're going to look at number two, uh, the object of our faith. You see, if you've been with us from the beginning of this series, we've kind of been painstakingly slowly working our way through these nine stories. These nine stories. We're up to week six and we've only just finished covering them. If you're anything like me, you're like, another healing or another miracle. Wait till you get to community groups and you do them again. Uh, you'll be out to like week four and you'll be like, oh, still got another one to go. What Matthew has been doing in these nine weeks as he slowly, meticulously, painstakingly records the nuanced detail of each one of these interactions is showing us the kind of person that Jesus is. He's showing us the kind of person that Jesus is. In fact, from the very beginning of his account of the life of Jesus, Matthew tells us the kind of person that Jesus is. If you've got a Bible with you, flip back with me to Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is what Matthew says. He says, This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah. That's who Jesus is. Messiah is, is 
means anointed one, God's chosen one. And so as Matthew recounts these nine different interactions that Jesus has, he is going to great lengths to show us who Jesus is. Just by the sheer number of times he heals people, it's not an accident, but also by the, just the nuanced differences in them. You see, Jesus approaches a leper, someone that in Jewish society would have been, along with the woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years, deemed unclean. And when Jesus touches this leper... Ordinarily, Jesus would become unclean. But what happens is the leper is made clean. The leper is healed. Uh, When Jesus finds himself in a boat with a bunch of fishermen and there are waves and wind just roaring and crashing around them and the disciple, grown men, fishermen, are fearing for their lives, all that Jesus has to do is stand up and say, be still. And immediately, the wind and the waves stop. When Jesus comes face to face with a man possessed by an army of demons, he doesn't fear or cower away. With a few words, he casts the demon out of this man and into a herd of pigs. And in today's story, we see Jesus face to face with death itself. And I don't know if you caught it there, but in the passage he says, he calls it sleep. And that's not to trivialize the pain of death. But what Jesus is saying is to to heal this woman, to undo death, for me, is as easy as simply waking someone up from sleep. That is the kind of man that Jesus is. In fact, come back with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 33. After he drives out the demon, it says, The crowd was amazed. And said, nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Jesus is a man like no other. There is no one like him. Jesus is God's chosen one. That is the object of our faith. God's Messiah, God's anointed one, God's chosen one. And so we can put our faith and our confidence in him. What's the nature of faith? What's well, putting confidence in something outside of ourselves? What's the object of our faith? It's Jesus, God's chosen one. And what's the result of faith? Well, in today's passage, we see that for each of these individuals, as they put their faith in Jesus, they see radical, joy-filled new life. You see, that's what Jesus does. Wherever he goes, he brings new life. To a man that was mourning the death of his daughter at a funeral, just moments later, is celebrating and partying the undoing of her death. To a girl who had been socially outcast for 12 years, and had faced significant physical discomfort. Jesus heals her physically, and as a result, cuts off her social isolation. She's now able to be with people without them fearing being unclean themselves. When Jesus comes across two blind men, he gives them their sight back. And when Jesus comes into contact with a demon-possessed man who as a result 
cannot even speak. With just a few words, casts out the demon and gives the man his speech back. That's what Jesus does. Everywhere he goes, he brings new life. It's like in, in the scene of The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe in C.S. Lewis's Narnia. Uh, there's this line that's repeated throughout the book that in Narnia, under the rule of the White Witch, it's always winter, never Christmas. Always winter, never Christmas. Now in Australia, it's never winter and Christmas, but you get the idea. Um, always winter, never Christmas. And then when Aslan turns up, when Aslan's on the move, the snow begins to melt. The white witch's power begins to weaken. And there's this beautiful scene, one of my favorite scenes in all of Narnia. I don't know if you remember it, where they're, they're hiding and they hear uh, bells. They hear a sleigh and they fear of the white witch has found us. We're doomed. But then they look up and they see reindeer. And on the sleigh isn't the white witch, but it's Father Christmas. Because under the rule of Aslan, the curse is slowly being undone. Father Christmas turns up. Christmas arrives. And he hands out presents. And so it is with Jesus. When Jesus enters earth, he steps onto a planet that is harassed by sickness, death, and disease. A place where there is mourning and pain and real, genuine, heartbreaking suffering. And as Jesus begins to walk around on earth, we see these tokens, these signs, these pictures of the kingdom of God breaking out. That flowers begin to bloom. That the dead are raised to life. The lame are able to walk again. The blind are given sight. Demons are cast out. That's what Jesus does. Wherever he goes, he brings new life. But here's the thing. Many of us read this story today and we think, where's my healing? Where's my miracle? Why did God do it for them, but not for me? And we don't get all the answers on that. What we do know is that God himself is not indifferent to suffering. In fact, Jesus himself experienced real, genuine suffering on the cross as he died in our place for our sins. Because you see, Jesus didn't just stay on earth. He could have stayed on earth till he was 70, 80, 90, 100, just doing miracle after miracle, healing after healing. He could have just emptied out all of the hospitals on earth indefinitely. But he didn't. Because that's not the primary reason he came to earth. You see, the reason he came to earth was to go to the cross to end death, disease, and suffering once for all. To declare victory over the devil once for all. To undo the curse once for all. And so on the cross, we see Jesus dying in the place of sinners. On the cross, we see Jesus defeating the devil himself. 
And in the resurrection of Jesus, we see hope. That death is not the end. And for us, death will not be the end if our trust is in Christ. Death is no longer a full stop in our life. It's just merely a comma. You see, wherever Jesus goes, he brings new life. Faith in Jesus brings salvation. And our faith in Jesus gives us a confidence, gives us a certainty that one day we will be with him when he returns forever in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no sickness, no death, no mourning and no pain. And that doesn't mean that right now life won't be messy or life won't be difficult or there won't be moments of extreme heartbreak and pain. But what it does mean is that in those moments, we know that there is something better coming. That in those moments, we can look forward to an eternity without those things, in the presence of Jesus. So let me ask you this morning, Vine Church, where is your faith? Where is your faith? As the blank slate of 2023 slowly becomes increasingly more and more tarnished, are you finding yourself bored with your faith? Are you finding yourself grumpy with God? Or maybe you're even finding yourself just in a little bit of despair and helplessness. Today, this morning, I want to encourage you. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the object of your faith. Do not look within. Look at him. Look at what he has done for you on the cross. Look at what he has done for you in defeating death. And hold on to him with certainty and assurance that one day he will return and usher in the new heavens and the new earth where we will be with him forever and where there will be no sickness no mourning, no pain. Will you pray with me? Father, this morning we come before you and we thank you that the quality of our faith does not come from within. It is not located inside of us. It is located in something outside of us, in Jesus Thank you, Lord, for the, the man he was, that he was God on earth, in flesh. That he was a man like no other. He did things that no one could ever do and has ever done. So, Lord, give us confidence in him. He is your chosen one that went to the cross to die on the cross in our place for our sins. And Lord, help us to cling to him and the resurrection hope that he brings. And Lord, right now in this moment, help us not to be um, bored, grumpy. But as we experience and taste the new life that you bring right now, even in the midst of our pains and hardships and difficulties, would you give us a joy? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.